You're listening to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Professor Birdsong. Welcome back, folks. Glad to be here on TalkZone. It's Internet Radio at its best. I have Glenn Peter Ollers on the line. He's the Associate Dean for Information Services and a professor of law at the Barry Law School here in Orlando. Glenn Peter, are you there? I'm here, Leonard. Good afternoon. Well, good afternoon. Thanks so much for coming on. I've wanted to get you on for quite a while, but you have been teaching in the summer, and our schedules just did not mesh. But now I have you. I know that you are just back from a big library conference in Austin, Texas. How were things in the Longhorn State? Well, people said it was hot, but coming from Orlando, they don't know what hot is. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you're right about that. I haven't spent much time in Texas, but it... They say it's hot, but probably not as hot as Orlando. But let's get right down to it. You are a specialist in what we call intellectual property. And most people who know anything about it know that intellectual property might be about copyright or trademarks or patents and maybe even trade secrets. Can you tell us something about them? Sure. Um Four different ways of protecting it. The intellectual property almost is something you can't put your hands on. Uh, right. Not real estate property, not uh, personal property, but something that we put together. And, and uh, four different ways. Of tr- start with trade secret. A trade secret is something of value to uh, an organization. It could be as simple as uh, a list of vendors or a list of customers or uh, you know, it doesn't have to be gold bullion or anything like that. It doesn't have to be a secret formula, but all of those things, you know, a, a formula uh, or, like I said, as simple as a list of uh, clients that I want to go after mm-hmm. can be a secret. To, to protect a trade secret, you have to keep it secret. Uh, and do it, you have to register this with the government in some kind of way? No, you don't register it, uh, but indeed you – uh, let as few people know about it as possible. Um, uh, I guess so. Down, certainly stamp it trade secret so that anybody who accesses it knows that it's a secret. They're obligated to keep it a secret because you tell them that. And so, for example, if you've got a trade secret on how to make widgets, uh, you have to share it with your employees. Right. Uh, but your employees have to know that they only have access to it because they are employees and that it is indeed a secret and they've got to keep it a secret. And again, you let as few people know about it as possible. Well, with these employees, do they have to make a written uh, declaration that they will not reveal the trade secret? That would be best. Uh, Indeed, that part of the employment is that you know this is a trade secret and you're going to keep it a trade secret even when you leave. Right. And uh, the question comes, how long after they leave? Uh, we'll look at uh, it's got to be reasonable time. You can't say. Well, I knew you. I knew you were going to use that reasonable time. Three years, five years, ten years. What's reasonable when we talk about trade secrets, Glenn Peter? Well, it's, it's probably not five and ten, uh, but it also could be geographic. So if you say you can't practice uh, for two years in Orlando, that might be reasonable. If you okay. say you can't practice. You know, for 20 years anywhere in the United States, that's that's not going to be reasonable. Or <laughs> that's if, not going to fly. If I huh? move to <laughs> Oregon, uh, maybe I can practice out there and make widgets. Uh, and that, you know, so geographically would also come into what is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let us. Let me just let me go to copyright and let me make the 
the uh, listeners understand that I have a vested interest. My, I write humor books, as you well know. You were the one who read the contract for my first humor book and told me that I should sign it and go, and I've been doing it ever since. Just tell people what is a copyright and what does it mean. Okay. Copyright is – copyright protects expression. So any author expresses something, that is what is protected. And, for example, we used to, up until 1976, you had a jump through hoops, you used a little C in the circle, and you had to register, and you had to do all sorts of things. Otherwise, you didn't have copyright. Today, okay. it's very simple. If you're sitting uh, on the back of a napkin and you write a little poem, it's fixed. That means it, it's there it is. It's just a little napkin. It's just on ink. But you now have a copyright in that poem. Is that uh, what used to be called a common law copyright? Correct. Correct. And now, as soon as it's fixed, it is copyrighted. It is protected. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. um, it is the expression. I mentioned that it's the expression that we protect, not the idea. So uh, your listeners probably have heard of somebody called J.K. Rowling. Uh, yep. Maybe have read a few books about wizards and seen a few movies about wizards. Well, you and I, Leonard, could get together and, and write all the books we want about wizards. And uh, even if they went to college to become better wizards, or maybe law school, <laughs> the legal wizards, the legal wizards. Um, and and her, co her copyright is her expression, um, not the idea of wizards becoming better wizards. Um, <laughs> and same thing, we take a, a James Bond, okay? You and I could write novels about spies, and they could be aloof, and they could be uh, sexually appealing, and they could be fast with the gun, and, and wry with, you know, and... and, and like their martinis, uh, shaken, not stirred, and all that good stuff. But the closer we get to James Bond, that we can't do. Um, we can have spies, but we can't. You can't steal someone else's ideas? Is that it? Well, no, you can take the ideas. That's what I'm saying. So the idea is a, a suave, sophisticated uh, assassin. And we could write novels with suave, sophisticated assassins. That's the idea. But the closer we get to James Bond, then we're starting to get in trouble. And that's where case law comes in. So the idea is not protected, but how the suave, sophisticated spy comes alive, that is what is protected. So it's, people should not only have a common law copyright, they should register their copyright with the Library of Congress. Is that right? Yes, indeed, because it, even if, if you... Uh, the, the protections, if you register it within five years of the copyright, then you've got the presumption that it is your your product. Um, and if you go knocking on the court's door and say, you know, so-and-so just ripped me off, and that's my copyright, and they reprinted it, uh, the court's going to say, okay, you know, show me your registration. <laughs> so yeah. you're going to have to register it anyway uh, before you go after somebody. So right. you might as well register it. It's quick. It's easy. It's uh, inexpensive. You can do it online. Um, and then you've got the protection from, you know, that that moment on. And like I said, if you want to go after somebody, the court's going to make you register it anyway. Okay. How long does a copyright last here in the United States? Well, it's now 70 years past the death of the life of the author. 
So it is. So no, my copyright would be good if I die. Well, I don't. I don't like to talk about dying, but if I died next year, it would <laughs> be good for twenty seventy more years, right? The, the family gets exactly the, the joys of the copyright for seventy more years after the death of the author. Okay, because I do. I hope I don't die too soon. I'm sure right. I won't. But That's right. I did plan to cede my copyright to my copyrights to my children. All the humor books I've written, I have copyrighted. All right. Well, we'll so, take it, Leonard. You got 80 more years, and then 70 after that. So they got, they're good for 150 years. Well, good. That sounds really good. Now, are you teaching? I know you've taught international copyright. Is the copyright laws in the United States the same law we would have internationally? In many ways, yes, because the U.S. finally joined the Berne Convention, uh, which most of the world joined 130 years ago. <laughs> our feet. Um, but having joined it, that is why, uh, for example, once it's fixed, uh, we the copyright exists. Uh, we don't have to get the little C, and you don't have to register it. You don't have to jump through hoops. Um, and most of the laws are the same. They, you're protecting um, uh, works of authors. You know, uh, but where it does differ is, for example, there are some countries that perfect uh, that protect perfume under copyright, and mm. the U.S. says, yeah, I don't know. We're not going to protect perfume. And what that means is, since we don't protect perfume in the U.S., then we're not obligated to protect perfume for anyone else. Okay. Hmm. So we have to, you know, we protect uh, books. We protect journals. We protect... Uh, songs? Songs, absolutely. Poems, all that literature. Think about it. And so we have to protect the literature of the world in the same way. There's the same extent that we protect it in our country. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that when you, when you, when you, you send your copyright or register your copyright with the copyright office in the Library of Congress, you have to send a copy of the work. And, you know, that's not difficult to do now because you can do it all online. But I, I, I have problems understanding how you can copyright a perfume. How can you copyright a smell? Well, that, that's why, <laughs> that, that's why we don't. You know, it's, it's, uh, we're sitting there going, okay, guys, you're going to copyright that. You have it. Um, you know, your formula, your scent, uh, but we're not going there. And, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds good. Let me now, let me ask you, can you tell us what's the difference between a patent and a trademark? Sure. Think of a patent as protecting a process. Um, or a business way of doing things, or a process uh -huh. or a, a machine. I'm sorry, a process or a machine. So okay. a machine, something that does something, uh, a robot, a, a clutch, a, a, a crane, a, a something that mechanically does something, um, makes widgets or makes pancakes or makes waffles or makes toast, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. drives, you know, helps you drive a car or anything. So uh, you want to protect something that works. Or there's a particular process that you have that makes better tires um, because everybody making tires, but you have this process that really you know cures the rubber better, more quickly, more efficiently, um, and you have a special process you could protect that process. So your um, patent means that other people can't steal what you do and say it's theirs. Is that correct? That is correct. When you when you get a patent. And the way you get it is you have to uh, 
it's the opposite of a trade secret because to get a patent, you have to tell the patent office exactly what it is that your machine does and how it does it and why your how your mousetrap is better than all the other mousetraps out there. Because mm-hmm. if all you have is another mousetrap, well, that's not different enough. That's It's just another mousetrap. And there's no <laughs> mousetraps out there. We're not going to give you a patent on it. But, oh, you have a streamlined, you know, digital mousetrap that, you know, is so much more efficient because of the things that you tell me. Well, that's, that's worthy of a patent. And we will give you a patent on it. And then, so we have a patent on that, and nobody can touch our new, improved mousetrap. Now, Um, there are special lawyers for people who want patents. They're called patent lawyers, right? Correct. Correct. These people are engineers. Is that why? Can you tell our audience? They certainly have a science background, Um, and an engineer would be a perfect science background, a chemist. Um, anybody who really gets into hard science, which you know, Leonard, there's not most of the law students uh, mm-hmm. most come from social sciences. That's uh, sure. But if you have a science background, it helps because of, again, the machines that you're talking about, they do things and they have gears and they have widgets and they make things whir and they put parts together. And it might be chemistry that makes them work. It might be electricity that makes them work. So the more comfortable you are, and again, an engineer is a perfect example. The more comfortable you are in measuring uh, volumes and, and pressures and putting things together, the easier it is for you to understand how this machine works. And then it's easier for you to understand and explain to the patent office why your mousetrap is better. And okay, once you, once you get – now let me just stop you. Once you get a patent, how long does it last? Is it like a copyright where it's your lifetime no. plus 70 years? No, you look at 20 years. You've got that. You've got a window, and then so, so for 20 years you can license that. Uh, you can certainly sell it. It, it. Intellectual property can be sold, can be licensed, can be bundled, however you want to do it. Um, and it is only yours to do. So that particular mousetrap is yours for 20 years, and you can license other people to make the mousetraps. Now, someone, because you s- explain exactly how your mousetrap works, others can come along and say, ooh, that's, you know, that's a really good idea. I like the way that works. That That's better than anything out there. Let's see if we can tweak it and make it better, better. All right. And if they make it better, better, maybe they can get a patent on their yeah. own, you know, building on yours. But again, it can't be the same as yours. It's got to be better, better. Right. All right, well, that cleared some things up for me. I didn't know that much about patents. I know a little bit about copyright, probably because of you. You told me so much about it in copywriting my own works. But what about trademark now? What about trademark? Tell us about that. Yeah, trademark is protecting a brand. Um, A particular, think of soda, Pepsi or Coke. You're either a Pepsi fan or you're a Coke fan. And it wouldn't be fair for someone to say, bring me a Coke, and to slip them a Pepsi instead. <laughs> it's, it's not fair to Coke because, you know, the, the, they lost a sale. Uh, someone asked for a Coke, and they didn't get it. And, you know, a Coke drinker might think that Pepsi is terrible, and, and, and they might say, oh, Coke is slipping. Look at, you know, it's not tasting like it used to taste. So it's not fair. And 
it's not fair to Pepsi because, well, they're making a sale. They might not complain, um, but someone thinks they're drinking a Coke. And so trademark is set up saying you can't, you can't switch, you know, the old uh, bait and switch. Uh, right, right. For I'm saying that. something else. And that's number one. And it's for the confusion. So you don't water down the value of it. If anybody could put an amber-colored, uh, you know, bubbly, sweet concoction on the table and call it Coca-Cola, well, then you'd never know when you were getting the real thing. Right. And so, you know, that would water down Coca-Cola's trademark uh, and the, the value of their product. And that's what trademark is meant to protect. Well, how, well, how long does a trademark last? It can last forever. It can last uh, as long as the trademark is valued. What the mark means that I, when I look at a certain shaped bottle, even without a label on it, my brain goes Coca-Cola. See it, and as long as that connection is made, that trademark is valid. Huh. And you you can hear of people. Excuse me, that's uh, going off there. Um, you hear of people. Let's see. Uh, no examples not going to come to mind. Oh, like uh, Xerox, right? Make a photocopier. Xerox. Right. A Xerox so, machine. Exactly. Xerox this for me. Everybody's Xeroxing, 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 Xeroxing. All Xeroxing is is photocopying. And so you can lose it if you don't say no, you know, go make a photocopy of it and use the Xerox machine. <laughs> because <laughs> in people's mind, it's not Xerox doesn't mean a machine to me anymore. Does it just mean getting two, two copies of something when I used to have one copy of it? So you can lose a trademark if you don't keep the distinction in the consumer's mind. All right. Well, Glenn Peters, thank you so very much. Our time is limited here. It's so good to talk to you. I'm glad you could come on. I think our listeners know a little bit more about intellectual property than they did before. I'd like to have you back maybe at a later time, okay? Absolutely. My pleasure, Leonard. Always great to talk to you. All right. Same here. Thanks. Okay, listeners, you know something about intellectual property? Stick with me. There's more to come. We've got some news tidbits coming up in our next section and some riddles. This is Leonard Birdsong Radio here on Talk Zone. Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and consumer debt counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to consumerdebtcounselors.org slash birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. 
Are you considering law school? Then you probably have tons of questions about the application process, the admissions process, the benefits of a legal career, and what it takes to succeed in law school. You'll find the answers to these questions and more in Professor Birdsong's Law School Guide, Techniques for Choosing and Applying to Law School. Inside, you'll find helpful chapters on the history of the lawyer, why you should apply to law school, things you need to know about applying, and more. You have the ability and the drive. Now, get the advice that will guide you into the legal profession by helping you successfully submit your application to the law school of your choice. Professor Birdsong's award-winning Law School Guide, Techniques for Choosing and Applying to Law School. Available for purchase on Amazon.com or through the author link at LeonardBirdsong.com. Welcome back to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Yes, welcome back. This is Leonard Birdsong Radio, and I am Leonard Birdsong. We're almost at the end of the show. I have some news tidbits that I want to share with you. You know, I love to read the news, and I have some things that maybe you have heard or haven't heard. Most of them you haven't heard. Here's one from last week. Trapped in an ATM, says the headline. A worker had to make an ATM withdrawal of himself when he got trapped behind it in a Texas bank while making repairs. And he had to do so by passing a note to a shocked customer. The contractor left his cell phone and his key pass in his truck before heading for the room behind the Bank of America ATM in Corpus Christi, Texas, last Wednesday. So he slipped a note to a customer which read, Please help me. I'm stuck in here and I don't have my phone. Please, please call my boss, end quote. The customer called the police, leading to the man's rescue after two hours. Quote, we come out here, and sure enough, we can hear a little voice coming from the machine. So we're thinking this is a joke. It's got to be a joke, Officer Richard Olden said, but it wasn't a joke. They got him out of the ATM machine. All right, our next story. Maybe you heard about this one. There's been a monster iceberg that has broken away a massive sheet sheet of ice the size of the state of Delaware has broken off from Antarctica, becoming a one-trillion-ton iceberg that is one of the largest ever recorded. Now, this happened last week. I just I can't even imagine the size of this thing. The facts about this breakaway iceberg, it is one trillion tons and it covers 2,239 square miles in diameter. That's twice the volume of Lake Erie, and it's half the size of the state of Connecticut. It, the ice is roughly 620 feet thick with 277 cubic miles of frozen water or enough water to fill 460 million Olympic-sized swimming pools. <laughs> Well, the crack in the the uh, the iceberg spanned 70 miles and was 300 feet wide. They've been scientists have been monitoring this particular iceberg since January of 1995. It finally broke off in Antarctica last week. My my my, giant iceberg! All right few more news tidbits that maybe you've heard or haven't heard. Here's one that says, 
Breast rights are human rights. The city of Cornwall in eastern Ontario, Canada, has been hit with a formal human rights complaint over its policy banning bare-chested women at swimming pools. It has been 20 years since the province decriminalized female breast-bearing, but the city's ordinance is still in place, prompting a complaint to the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. Breast rights are human rights, says the headlines. Here's another one. This one is from England. Thousands of wireless customers unwittingly, sorry, unwittingly signed up to clean toilets because they failed to read the fine print on a contract. More than 22,000 people last week inked a deal to complete 1,000 hours of community service that included scrubbing toilets at a festival in England. The Internet company, Purple, pulled the gag to illustrate lack of consumer awareness. (laughs) All right, here's another one. No texting while walking, folks. The city council in Honolulu, Hawaii, passed a bill that prohibits pedestrians from looking at their cell phones while walking. They can, however, make 911 calls. Also, emergency responders performing official duties won't face phone penalties either. Fines range from $15 to $99 for looking at your phone while walking. Be careful when you're in Honolulu. All right, we're coming to the end of these. These stories never stop. Some of you remember we had a trial for Bill Cosby ended a couple of weeks ago. There's a report here that Bill Cosby's sex abuse trial, which ended in a hung jury, cost the local government $219,000, mostly for overtime for cops, guards, and court personnel. The Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, or the town of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, in a breakdown released last week said cost included 46000 for hotel stays and 14000 for meals for jurors brought in from Pittsburgh who, to hear the case. All right, our final news tidbit is one that is sort of a poignant story. The headline says, Dad's last gift to bride. The story. A dying New Jersey judge was able to keep his lifelong promise to officiate his daughter's wedding from his hospital bed. Casey Capalco, that is Casey Capalco, 27, and her partner Stephanie were married back on April 15th by Casey's father. Monmouth Superior Court Judge Paul Capolco, I'm sorry, I can't get that name out. The judge was 62 and in intensive care unit in the West Long Branch Hospital. Paul, who had a rare cancer, did officiate the ceremony and died 12 days after. Well, that's sad, but sort of a beautiful story. His his daughter got dad to officiate the wedding. All right, there will be more news tidbits next week. Let me end the show, as I usually do, with some riddles. Some of you may know these riddles. Some of you may want me to tell better ones, but 
I'm going to tell you these and see if you can figure out. The first one, why was Cinderella kicked off the baseball team? Tell me, why was Cinderella kicked off the baseball team? Think about it. You got the answer? The answer is Cinderella was kicked off the baseball team because she ran away from the ball. All right, our next riddle. Next riddle here. What do postmen do when they are mad? What do postmen do when they are mad? Can you figure it out? Well, when postmen are mad, they stamp their feet. What do wealthy bakers have a lot of? What do wealthy bakers have a lot of? This is our last little riddle for the day. What is it that wealthy bankers have a lot of? Well, wealthy bankers have a lot of, wealthy bakers, rather, have a lot of dough. All right, I hope you could figure out those riddles. They were sort of funny. We'll have more for you next week. As a matter of fact, I want you to listen to Leonard Birdsong Radio on Talk Zone. I'm here live on Thursdays at 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be back with you next week. Listen to Leonard Birdsong Radio. You will laugh, chuckle, and even learn something. It's been good being with you. See you next week.